G'day guys, welcome back to Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're up to episode 153, and we got one of the all-time greats of the English Super League in Kevin Sinfield. For the Aussie fans, you might not know him as well as, as obviously, the English fans, but yeah, he's pretty much, he would be an immortal of the game if he played in the NRL. He's an absolute legend, absolute great bloke too. So it was a great yarn, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you all it today. Whether it's your first time here or you haven't caught up on all the episodes, you can check that out at www.talkingwithtk.com. Also find it on pretty much any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And if you do get a chance, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. just really helps me get seen by more and more people. Talking with TK is proud to be part of the Diamond Tina podcast network. Definitely check out some of my stable mates, including the Batuta Advocate, Dylan Friends, the Halfcast podcast. There's a great podcast for everyone in our family, so definitely check that out. I have released my book recently, Talking with Champions, so if you're looking for a great gift, whether it's someone's birthday, well, Father's Day's gone now and Chrissy's gone as well, but plenty of events coming up this year. It pretty much is the 70, 75 of my favorite interviews broken down into five or six of the best best parts of each one so yeah definitely look out for that one it's in all good bookstores booktopia online angus robertson on angus and robertson online dimix it's in store and online so definitely check that out all right guys excited for today's episode and i introduce kevin sinfield All right, guys, my special guest today is Kevin Sinfield. Kevin is a legend of English Rugby League with a distinguished career, seeing him play an incredible 521 games for the Rhinos. We was often from 2003 to 2015. He also captained the English national team where he played 26 games. He debuted at 16 years of age in 1997. He scored 3,968 points in a career which included seven grand final wins, two Challenge Cup wins, three World Cup Challenge wins, and he ended his career in the 2015 season, winning the treble. Post-footy, uh, Kev's in charge. He's the Leeds Rhinos, Director of Rugby. Uh, welcome to the podcast, the Legend and Sinfield. Kev, welcome, buddy. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, I know it's taken some time uh, to get this together, but I'm uh, delighted to help out. And, uh, yeah, it's an honour to be part of the show. I know you've had some wonderful players on here, so um, it's nice to uh, nice to join in. Yeah, definitely, mate. I'm nearly out of breath, mate. That's... Uh, that intro is pretty scintillating, man. Have, do you get a chance to like kind of sometimes have a look back and just when you think over five hundred games, nearly four thousand points? Not a lot of people can say that, man. Uh, no, I, th- I think it's you sort of move on pretty quickly. I I was very very fortunate how it how it finished for me. Um, in the treble in twenty fifteen, my final game being at Old Trafford in a grand final, and we get in the win. It means you almost sort of closed the book on my rugby league career and, and you go, right, well, that chap's couldn't have had a better ending. Um, you know, I had a career like most people would have where there's lots of ups and downs in it. Yep. Uh, and they define who you end up being and what you are. But um, I think because it finished, I, I don't think you could have written the script any better, really, but because it finished so with, with so much satisfaction, I think, um, I, I don't look back a lot at all. I, I sort of move forward, and especially now in in the new role, it's it's um, that transition from being a player to, I suppose, into real life is takes some getting used to, and and um, you know I've put all my energy in trying to make success out of what I'm doing now. Yeah, when you when you kind of you know you you know obviously charge it at Leeds now, and when you look back and of your own career, and you 
Did you ever think that football administration back, you know, 15 years ago, did you ever look up into the grandstand and go, geez, that guy's got an easy job? And then you kind of look at now and you go, Jesus, this is the most stressful job ever. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, I didn't spend much time looking up at the grandstand when I was playing. Um, and I certainly weren't looking at sort of the boss or the people in charge of the club thinking they had an easy job. But um, it is far more difficult than um, I expected. I, you know, I was... I was fortunate throughout my playing career that we had a great link with the local university, which is Leeds Beckett, and yep. I went there first out and, and did a sports science degree part-time. It took me five years, and sort of, it wasn't until I hit my early 30s that I thought, actually, that degree's now a little bit outdated and probably not where I want to go and what I want to do with the rest mm. of my life. So went back again and did uh, my master's in sport business, which I thought would set me up for a life in sport and administration, probably it's a little bit like passing your driving test you've got some skill set and you know some academic background but there's nothing like some experience there's nothing like working yeah, sure. in it and there's nothing like understanding actually what, what the job is so um, it has been very very different I think as a player you, you're cocooned away from much of real life and what people have to go through in, in normal work if you like um, the world of email is very, very different. The world of being copied into a thousand emails that mean nothing to you, but people are trying to protect and cover their own backs. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely different world to what you're used to in a, in a rugby environment because people are so honest and truthful and tell you exactly how it is and with no agenda whatsoever, but suddenly you're, you're thrust into a world that is very, very different. Well, you can't, you can't CC and BCC someone in, a, in the dressing room, can you? You just have to say it straight to their face. Exactly, and, and that's a far more better way to work, isn't it? We, you know, the, we used a slogan here that was brought in by one of our older coaches, which was in in the belly, not the back. And if you've got an issue or something you need that needs airing, you're face to face in the right way. And it was taken in uh, the right way as well. But in in sort of the corporate world, if you like, yeah. it's very very different, and it's almost dog dog. And that that's why I, you know. I, that's the bit I miss, I suppose, from playing days, how honest a dressing room can be. And, and that it's, at times, it can be brutal, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, There's no feedback just, either, yeah. is there, Kev? Like, remember back in the day, no. you'd be having your video sessions, the coach would call you in. You know, every day there's a feedback, literally. Like, what's that kind of been like now? Because I know myself in the corporate world, like, I get feedback maybe once every six months. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, I agree. It's very, very different. And, um, I think you got feedback as a player in all sorts of different ways. Firstly, you, you know you woke up the following morning and you, you, you knew whether you'd done a good job because of you know you you reflected and judged yourself. And then obviously there's so many million people who watch it on TV each week who tell you exactly what they think as well. So that's the constant feedback you get. Possibly, I mean, over here is a little bit different, but it can be forty weeks a year. So then to suddenly, like you say, have something every six months is. It's very strange. Yeah, it would um, be for sure. Yeah, I miss uh, the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> do you like play? Do you play any like competitive, like touch rugby or anything like that, just to no, keep the body no, up? I don't, no, I don't. No, I, I started to run. Uh, I've done a couple of marathons now since I finished playing, and that's been an area where I, you know I put a lot of time because it, it, one, it keeps me fit. Yeah, um, for sure. It also clears my mind and clears my head. I'd, I'd love to play. I'd, I'd play tomorrow if I could. I absolutely love our game. Um, you know, I love what it stands for. 
Um, I love every bit about it. I love the challenge. I love the satisfaction I got from playing well and being part of um, a good team performance. Um, you know, normal life doesn't give you the sort of satisfaction that my, my playing career did. But um, what you realise is, I'm, you know, I'm 39 now and I've not been hit for four years, and I reckon I'd shatter into a thousand pieces if I got smashed. So yeah, um, probably best. Stay where I am for now. <laughs> what are you? Because you were about what, like ninety-one kilos when you were playing. What What are you weighing now? Um, I'm not too far off. Um, anywhere between eighty-eight and ninety. Um, I haven't lost a lot. I probably lost some muscle mass, but um, you know, I, I still try and train six days a week. Um, keep myself tidy. Do a lot of light circuits and then a fair bit yep. of run. So. Um, I, th- I think it's important. I think to just stop training um, when it's something you've done every day for such a long period of time. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm a great bloke to be around. To be honest, but I'm cranky and I don't think I sleep very well. And <laughs> so I got all this. <laughs> I trained. I was one of those um, who, who actually we all went. It was a really tough session um, at times during it. Um, just wanted to be off the field or um, away from the session, but it's the endorphin release at the end of it. I don't, I don't think you get anything like that, and, and especially when you get a bunch of blokes who who were in it together and want to win and want to get better and want to improve. Um, there were special times. Yeah, for sure. Who was the best trainer, like kind of back in the day? Oh, we, we you know, I was pretty lucky. We we had some real good trainers. Um, Jimmy Peacock, I mentioned him already, was always a good trainer. It wasn't at the front very much, but got absolutely out, every ounce out of his body, no matter what session it was. Uh, Rob Burrow was a trainer. Uh, Jamie Jones Buchanan is the most competitive bloke. Um, he's one of my best mates, but he's, he's the most yeah. competitive bloke I've ever been around in rugby circles. Really good trainer. Um, Danny yeah. Medeiros. Yeah. Really it was very kind of like an old school kind of rugby league team. Like, you just obviously mentioned Jamie Peacock, who's what six foot five, six foot six, and then yeah. you mentioned Rob, who's what five foot five. Like that is this old school '90s sort of rugby league. Like you don't see that anymore. Everyone's kind of six foot three. Yeah, the, the game's changed a little bit, and you know, Rob was unique. Um, I almost, you know, I, I think the only comparable you could find in in the NRL would have been Alfie Langer. Or yeah, for sure. Possibly. Preston Campbell. Possibly. Yeah, possibly Stacey Jones. Yeah, true. Very, very similar. Although I, I reckon Rob would have been quicker than all of those we've mentioned there. He was uh, over sort of five or ten metres. I've never seen anything like it. And just tough. And he could have hit too, eh? Uh, yeah, absolute high. Lion. He, he was very, very small in stature, but he was a giant in so many other ways. And um, you know, I was. We had a team where we had some real characters in there. But we came through together at the same time and we, we all, the vast majority stayed together for 10 or 12 years and I think that's quite unique. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely unique. Now, Kev, I want to take you back to the start because Oldham, you know, I, know, I actually have some friends from, from that area and I know that interviewing before, Barry McDermott, he's from that area and Yeston Harris and Scully boys were not too far away from yep. that as, as well. Talk to me a little bit about how your family actually, are they always originally from the area? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Oldham and, and all those uh, players you mentioned there are good friends. Um, it's funny that Oldham is a, quite a small town and it was it's always been a rugby league playing town. 
but it's produced some some pretty good players over the years, and mm. um, you know some of those players you mentioned there are, are absolute stars in, in our game over here. So um, I spent a fair bit of time in those early days traveling with Barry Mack and uh, Iniesta from Oldham. Um, traveled with Barry to and, and back from training for nine years, so we've got a real strong friendship. Yep. And then the Scully boys, I, I played with the youngest uh, Danny. Um, throughout sort of my junior days and I knew Paul really well anyway so so that Oldham connection is, is pretty strong um, but I, I did I, I grew up in the town I've got another brother who, who played semi-pro um, o- over in uh, the English competitions mm-hmm. and it was just just by chance there's no real rugby history in the family um, he came home one day he'd started to play at a local a local side and Said the under nines were short, and the next thing I was I was there the following Saturday and, <laughs> and, and giving it a go, and I, I just fell in love with the game straight away. I mean, you obviously know a little bit about Oldham, and if you mention the weather, it, it rains a fair bit there. Yeah. Um, so the fields were always muddy, and um, you know to be nine year old and diving mud and hitting tackle bags was almost you know it's as good as it gets when you're a kid. And, <laughs> You got a lot of new mates from different schools. Um, my coaches were fantastic through my junior days as well, and just had a real influence. And you know, like I said, I fell in love with the game. Um, and the great thing about our sport is that sort of some of my mates that I met at seven year old are still my best mates now. Yeah, cool. Uh, you meet some wonderful people throughout your career. Um, and Oldham was. I still live in the town now. I, I travel across every day to Leeds. Um, but they treat you exactly the same as, you know, all through my junior days when I was growing up, I'm, I'm still just Kev, which is, you know, it's really, really grounding and it's, it's how I like it. Yeah, absolutely, man. But you got some, some early, like, some really good memories because from just doing a little bit of research, what, you played at Wembley when you were 11? Yeah, I did, yeah. It was um, a really good occasion. Uh, we played before the 1992 Challenge Cup final. It was Wigan v Castleford. Is that the one with Martin O'Fire does the the try in the corner? No, that's against Leeds. Oh, okay, yes, right. That. That's, is that 94, uh, maybe? That's close. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah, it was a great try. Um, and, and Castleford had, had a really good side, actually. Tuaranika was in that side. Uh, Mike Ford, Graham Stedman. Uh, but that Wigan team was great. Um some top front line and they were outstanding in them cup competitions for a number of years and but I think to get to play at Wembley in the curtain raiser I was I was eleven. Um we were representing Oldham Souls. We played against um Dewsbury and Batley. Managed managed to win on the on the day but it was my first real experience of, of playing in front of a big crowd. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it it was probably the day I realised that you know, and I sat back in the in the stand to watch the main game afterwards. That what you can actually do this for a job, and you can get paid for it, and and that's what really set me alight. I suppose when I, the first moment where I can remember thinking, I'd love to do this for a job. I'd, I'd love to forge a career playing rugby and playing sport and keeping fit and being with my mates. Um, yeah, it was it, it was a great time. Yeah, what was the early kind of. When you were between that ten to thirteen, because I know that you signed obviously with Leeds at thirteen, but before that, yeah. what was the scouting report? If you were to do your own scouting report now, what would your Kevin Sinfield scouting report say? Well, well, it's, it, it, the game changed. Effect. It's very, very different now. The game changed. 
So I played on my junior rugby in Lancashire, being from Oldham. Mm-hmm. And at that time, not many kids signed for Yorkshire clubs and not many Yorkshire players crossed over the border and signed for Lancashire clubs. So there was a real divide. Um, you know, I knew I had some talent, but there were clearly better players than me in our age group. Um, and it probably came from around the time I played at, at Wembley and I thought to myself, look, there's, there's so many other better players than me in, in our league, if you like. They're not going to beat me on commitment and desire, and that's where I set my stall out. Really, you know, I just thought I'm going to give it absolutely everything, and if I'm not good enough, I don't get picked, or a club doesn't want me, or I don't get injured, or it just doesn't work out. I can live with myself and go. Do you know what? I'm I'm all right with who I am and what I've turned out to be because mm. the thing I wanted the most, I went after, and if I fall short because of whatever reason, I'm all right with that, and um. I suppose when I look back on then times, I was very, very close to signing for Wigan. Okay. Part of that season, I was did very close to signing for Warrington. Wow. Who was your uh, Who was your childhood team? Who did you support? Oldham. Oldham. Yeah. So I was, I, and and having interviewed the Skullthorps, I've interviewed uh, Yestin Harris. You may realise that well, Oldham didn't want anyone, I'm right? Sure, I'm sure the Skullthorps were ball boys at Oldham rugby, uh, and I was. Yeah, I was a ball boy for three years there. Um, I balled. Barry Mack was playing actually. I reminded yeah. him of that quite, quite a bit. <laughs> uh, they know how old he is. Yeah, and at the club you you want to represent where you, where you grow up. Um, and I spent a lot of time watching Oldham rugby um, every Sunday afternoon, going to the game, and um, they, they didn't seem to have a great youth policy at the time. They didn't seem to want local boys, you know, we, we mentioned an handful of them there and they seemed to fly under the radar and, and there wasn't any interest in them. So that was certainly the case for me. It wasn't until it was it was too late, I was 15, when, um, you know, they tried to snare me back. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy when you think if they kept all you boys together, how good your team would have been. Well, I, I, I just think alongside that, well, there's so many other good players in Oldham that, Oldham, for whatever reason, didn't show the right interest or didn't try and develop those lads. Um, you know, the, the handful of players you've mentioned there, um, I suppose at the tip of the iceberg, there were so many of the good players within the town that just got overlooked. Mm. And, and the right environment could have and should have been professional players for our local town, but um, opportunity missed, I think. Yeah, what, what is it, Kev? The water down there? Is it... Do they have good cows down there for you guys to eat? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think what it is, uh, there's a lot of rain. It's cold, so you get a bit of resilience early. But um, you, you grow up playing against teams from, or, or certainly I did. You grow up playing against teams from Wigan, St Helens, Warrington, Widnes, who are real big rugby league towns as well. Yeah. But but because the history is steeped, and and certainly wasn't I was growing up with good teams who won trophies. Um, there, there was certainly a big pull for those rugby towns on the kids within them. So rather than football being the number one sport that rugby league was, now Oldham probably still was quite a big footballing town. So uh, when I say football, I mean soccer, but it was yeah, quite yeah. a big football town. So we got a real mix of who played rugby, and we spent as a kid. I spent the first four or five years getting a good idea from the teams from Wigan, Warrington, <laughs> Widnes, and St Helens. Yeah, and then suddenly. Suddenly, you know, we'd hold our own, and 
Um, you know, there were a, I think it was an under-12 season. We go unbeaten and we win a couple of cup finals. That's pretty unheard of for a team from all of them. So it, it did produce some real quality. And um, what I would say as well, the, the coaches, the clubs, um, they develop kids. They spent a lot of time working with kids and helping them and, and um, in a really safe, comfortable environment. And they should be applauded for that because mm. you know, they did a great job with us. Yeah, did you have a, an early mentor in, in regards to like helping you out a little bit more? Yeah, I did, yeah. Well, it's probably fair to mention my older brother, Ian. Yeah, okay. Um, we shared a bedroom until about 15, so he had a, he had a real influence on me. Um, he, he, was, he was fantastic. He supported me through everything, especially sort of um, as your career starts to take off in the professional game. He's brilliant. Uh, but but mentor wise through those junior days we we had it was my mate's dad okay my mate's dad a guy called Mick Huff he played uh, semi pro himself um, a big personality within the town uh, but just a lovely man um, knew the game inside out just had some really good values and morals and instilled them in a you know a young group of young group of lads who who became best mates and looked after each other and were desperate to play for him and, and do the best they could. And um, He coached me right until right up until I was 15. So, um, you know, he sadly passed away a number of years ago, but um, he, he had a massive influence on me. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, you spoke before, you had the contract offer from Wigan, you had one from Warrington, and obviously you had one for Leeds. So what made you reject the other two to go for Leeds? Uh, do you know it wasn't it wasn't as much a, a rejection? I think those offers were on the table, and it was at, at the time. I was, like I said, I was thirteen. Yeah, it was only to me one dad, um, and um, we turned up at, at Leeds. It was just before the '94 um, Challenge Cup final. I said one of the first meetings, and my mum and dad fell in love with the place. My mum and dad walked in through the big gates that used to be there at Headingley. Just got a really good feel for it. Now I have an impressionable thirteen-year-old who pretty much wants to do as he's told, and a bit of a pleaser with my mum and dad. And, yeah, um, I, I, you can sort of sense that they feel this is the right way for you. Um, all I ever wanted was an opportunity. I thought if I'm good enough, I just want to know that I'd get a chance. And during that time, there was a number of sort of lads in the teenage years who were getting an opportunity at Leeds. And I actually thought this is a mindset of the club. Um, they've got a host of players who are of an age where at other clubs they may not get an opportunity, but Leeds were, were throwing them in at the deep end and giving them a chance. Um, I know how quickly that can change, and it was probably a little bit naive at the time to think that as a 13-year-old that philosophy would stay in place for a number of years. Thankfully, it did. Yeah. And, and I got an opportunity early so I, there's no real I, I think I was heavily influenced by my parents their gut feel was a lot stronger than I, mine was uh, but I have to say the welcome I got in Leeds it meant I was out of that Lancashire corridor if you like of all young players at that time in Lancashire were signing for pro, pro clubs over in Yorkshire I don't think anybody had signed pro and it meant it was completely new start at a club that was a sleeping giant. Yeah, because that had a huge move for your parents too because 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the drive from Oldham to Leeds, what's that, about 45 minutes? Yeah, it is, yeah, but actually it's a similar drive to Warrington Wigan as well. So, oh, okay, so I didn't really, yeah. Um, Oldham's pretty much banged back in the middle and nobody wants <laughs> nobody wants to claim <laughs> Oldham. It used to be in Yorkshire, but Yorkshire kicked out and then I don't think Lancashire are too keen on us either, so... <laughs> <laughs> We're stuck in the middle there. Yeah, I get you. Now, Kev, what does a 13-year-old, when you sign, get, I know in Australia if we ever sign like a 16 or 15-year-old deal, you get you get a tracksuit, you might get a meat pie and a, a can of Coke. What do you what do you get as a 13-year-old in England? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing as a kid, you get your bag of gear. Don't you? You get yeah. Your, your, your tracksuit, like you said, some training kit, some some boots and some trainers, but you start to get paid. That, that's what the game was like back then. Um, you signed a professional contract and... Um, yeah, he started to get paid, which was incredible and, and crazy in so many different ways. But do you remember what your, um, your first pay packet was? Uh, well, you're, you're talking a couple of thousands, really. Um, yeah, and, and then, but you don't. I mean, at the time, I was from a, a very grounded working class family, and, and still am. And, and do you know, like, it's straight away, it's put aside and invested, and it's. Whatever happens, it can be there as part of a deposit for a new house when you when you finally are a new car or mm. whatever it is you want when you're sort of 17, 18, 19, 20 and just give me a great start in life. For sure. Now, Kev, how do you, like, because you debuted really, really early. It was my first team debut at 16. So, mate, most kids are yep. not fully developed by that. They're 16 years old, especially the position that you were playing as well. How did you close the gap so quickly? Uh, I don't think I did. I think I struggled, if I'm honest. The first couple of years, um, it was a real eye-opener for me to play at 16. Mm. Um, Dean Bell was our head coach. I loved Dean Bell to bits. He was brilliant. had a massive influence on, on me at Leeds. Um, but he gave me an opportunity, and um, it, it was like what most people, when most, when most young players get a debut now, they say, they can't believe how fast it is, even though the date shows that actually... The game is no faster than a normal under-18s game. Mm. But it's dealing with the contact and the physicality, and when it's all wrapped up, the game just for lights in fast-forward. So I probably realised that day when I made my debut that um, I'd only played five times against men. Oh. And physically, I was a way off. Um, and probably mentally, I was, still, I was still a baby. I was a kid. And, yeah, you were. And, you know, some of the things we're probably not ready to deal with, but um, it, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because what it meant is um, I realised that I was quite a way off and I had to do a lot of work and if I really wanted to forge a career then there were so many things I needed to fix up and needed to get right and over the next two years um, I was in and out of the side um, Graham Murray came in as, as head coach in the start of 98 and we had a really really good year really really successful year um, the guys lost in the grand final. I only made two appearances that year. Yeah, but actually, I was trying to combine it with a full time um, with full time study over here. I was doing the levels, and it was really, really difficult. But it, it gave me a chance to work on some of the things that, if, if you like, got smacked in the face with when I was sixteen and made my debut. And it took me a couple of years to try and become a regular. But I think that's part of it now. I, I think to you know to get thrown in at sixteen was absolutely brilliant. Um, because I was able to learn so much and and try and make the changes sooner rather than later, and I knew I knew where I needed to get to. Yeah. When you first came into the team, Kev, were you a lock? Yes. 
Jeez, you, yeah. what, what weight were you were you playing back then? Uh, I, I'd, I'd I would have been about 96, 90, 97 kilo. So we had, um, at the time, so from signing at Leeds at 13, what that meant was a commitment that I'd be here at first once a week, then the following year twice, three times a week, yep. then before I knew it, I was here five times a week as a 15-year-old. So... Um, we had a, a fantastic strength and conditioning coach, and I, and I don't know if you remember, but sort of in that late nineties era over here, um, the Bradford Bulls were a dominant force, and mm-hmm. they were massive. Yeah, absolutely, they were, they were a big side. You know, Paul Anderson, Joe, Joe Vagana, uh, Graham yep. Bradley, a real big outfit. Uh, yeah, and and on the back of it, every team went weights mad, and and they tried to get everybody as big as they could, and. Um, you were having five or six protein shakes a day. <laughs> Best gainers. Normal nutrition. <laughs> yeah. so I, but our strength and conditioning coach at the time was a called Edgar Curtis. Okay. Legend of a fellow over here. I think he ended up working in the NRL actually a couple of years after. Um, and they spent so much time with our junior players and young players just focusing on weights, just getting your muscle mass, just getting bigger and stronger. And Yeah, I was, I was 96, 97 kilos, probably... Um, wasn't great at handling it, if I'm honest. Probably too big. That's huge. For the certainly, certainly for the game now, I'd have been far too big and cumbersome, and I wouldn't be able to get about. But back then, it was okay because the game wasn't as quick. Yep. And and there were a lot of big, big men. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit heavier. Yeah, in training in those days, because obviously you got Adrian Morley, you got Barry McDermott. Did they ever like make you guys just tackle these one on one? Um, not from memory. Not, not that I can remember. Um, Thank God, I would have been scared to get a train. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, Mo, Moz was was brilliant to play with. Moz was especially. There's the Lancashire link there as well. So the car that came over from Lancashire every morning. Um, Terry Newton was in that car. Yeah. Uh, you know, tragic what happened with Terry, and mm. but he was an absolute brilliant, brilliant man. Barry Mark, Yestin, Adrian Morley. There were a number who travelled from Lancashire, so they sort of looked out for each other and. You know, to be in a team when you've got sort of one of your best mates in Barry Mack and uh, and Adrian Morley is a, a close friend as well. Um, you get looked after pretty well, if you know what I'm interested. Yeah. Um, there's not many to pick on you. And, and, uh, <laughs> right, I mean, so great. And um, but no, in, in training, it, there's there's one session I can remember in particular. We got a new coach one year. Dean Lance came over from from Australia. Yeah. And uh, he looked after some of the older senior pros. And I was travelling with Barry Eston at the time. They got sent to the local health club to go and have a jacuzzi and sauna. And we did two hours of tackle bags. And I can remember them both winking at me as they left the car park and left us <laughs> in bags. So um, it's probably just as well Barry and, and Adrian weren't there as well. Because uh, <laughs> could have tasted that two hours. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now, Kevin, I want to take you to... Uh, important Axel moment, you know, 99, you miss the Challenge Cup, but in that qualifying final, you actually killed it. You're one of the best players, you scored two tries, but then Dean Lance said you weren't experienced enough to actually play in the final. How did that kind of, first, how did you take the news, and then how did you kind of interpret that news and try to move on from there? Okay, well, first of all, if, if you think 99, I think you mentioned 99. 99 there, I was very much a squad player. And uh, we made the final, and I played in the quarter-final, and I never expected to be picked in the final. We went on and beat London that day. An absolutely brilliant experience. The following year, 
2000 was the year I got left out. And, yeah, okay. Um, I, you know, I played in every game that year. And it was the biggest thing that would have ever happened in my career. Um, having played at Wembley before a Challenge Cup final, all I ever wanted to do was play one. And hopefully win one, but play one. And, and um, you know, in the semi-final, we played Hull two weeks before the final. Um, we won that. And I'm, you know, got voted man of the match at a pretty good game. The following mm. week, we play Huddersfield at home, beat them by a cricket score, um, score a couple of tries, have a decent game, and almost rolling into cup final week, think, you know, I'm, I'm, I never, I never thought we guaranteed a spot, even when you know I was in my prime and I was captain of the club. Um, but I thought I was in with a, a very, very good chance of playing, given I played every game that year. Yeah. Um, and given I were in decent form and, and you get pulled to one side midweek and told that you know, you're not going to make the final team and uh, it's because you're not experienced enough and you know, I'm, I was 19 mm. I was never going to be experienced enough I don't, I don't know how you get that experience without going through it and uh, so that, it was tough it was tough I'd much rather I'd have got the message of you're not good enough or he's a better player than you or we need this specific job from this player and I think he can do it better than you but yep. it, it would just it was almost uh, an empty, an empty reason because I had nothing on them. Yeah, what that it, meant it, for me, going home, family, friends, that in, in effect, in my, in what that translated to me was, I'm not good enough. Otherwise, I'd have been in the team. And, it's uh, a weird one, but isn't it? Because speaking of Jamie Peacock a few weeks ago, same thing actually happened to him as well. Like, is it was it a Leeds thing at the time that you know if you're under twenties or something, you don't, you know, the, the old guys get to play the final. Well, I'd, I mean, Jamie weren't here during, tw- during the early 20s. That would have been an experience he had at Bradford. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it was possibly yeah, something right, that yeah. was in the game at that time. I, I think it was... Um, and I understand a bit of it now. Coaches um, trust the older players more, rightly or wrongly. Um, I, d- I don't know why that is, but it's, it, it was certainly the case then. And um, it, it, it's one of those that I look back and think one of one of the best things that ever happened to me, Tristan. And and, and at the time, it, it was like blood was ending. But when I look back on it now, and certainly in, in the weeks after and reflecting on it, it just threw an enormous amount of fuel on my fire. And I wanted to prove everybody wrong. I wanted to prove my coach wrong. I wanted to show that you know I could be a success in the sport. And you know, but I wanted to achieve. Um, some wonderful things in the sport, but I knew there was only one way I was ever going to do that, and that was by going as hard as I could and being as committed as I could, like I did when I was 11. And um, it probably refocused me. I, I, I don't recall needing to be refocused, but um, it certainly set me going again. And um, at the time, you, you know, I think when you, when you speak to other players, being left out of different teams or different games or different international squads yeah. it hurts and it hurts for a period of time and for those who are still part of the squad and can't play what you realise is that they're probably more important than the guys who play because mm. their actual reaction to that decision almost ensures an environment is very very special for the guys who are playing or they can ensure that an environment is toxic around those guys and um I learned that 19, I picked that up very, very quickly and it was a really, really tough weekend given that actually I got a brand new suit, a new bag of kit. 
Yeah. I was going to a cup final with all my mates. But the only thing I wanted to do was play. Yeah. And that had been ripped from me. And, and um, it was actually a really, really good experience to have at 19 because, um, do you know, it's, it, it certainly grounds you. It certainly, I, I don't think, um, I'll rephrase it, I think a little bit of adversity, a little bit of um, having to face some difficult moments is is quite good in a young player's career and um, some players don't have to face it but it certainly you know it certainly helped me out whenever I was faced with it during my career for whatever reason it put the best out in me and um, you know that's probably just how I'm put together yeah Kev now just the way you're explaining this you know as a 19 year old the way you describe it, you're handling it very, very maturely. Do you think that really contributed? Because you, t- you take over as captain when you're 22, which is really, really young, which is only three years away. Do you think that helped contribute to the coaching staff, the management, seeing that side of you, that ship side of you, and it contributed to you getting that the captain's uh, p- Possibly. Um, do you know, now, now we're talking about I'm looking back a little bit. I think a lot of my career is down, just down to timing. Been in the right place at the right time. Mm. When I look back at signing for Leeds as a 13-year-old, why Leeds and not Wigan and Warrington? Um, it, it, it was just the right time to join the club, and and then sort of going through some of those tough moments early on. I'd, I'd always been a captain all, all through my junior playing days. Okay. When I joined the club, captain of the academy. Um, you know the rep teams I played in at a young age. I'd always been um, a captain, and. Um, I think at that stage at Leeds, when when I got offered the job, um, we just lost Justin Harris to Rugby Union. Um, who'd done an amazing job, and I, I love playing alongside him. Um, Franny Cummins had just been named captain. He yep. was um, a real influence on my career, especially having you know having him around. He made his debut at sixteen. He'd gone through everything that I was going through as a young player. Um, but I think the club just thought, Do you know what, we're going to have a change of philosophy. We've tried all those the different captains and we've not been able to really build something um, that has been able to be sustained for a period of time and been successful and and I also think that there were a number of young players coming into the squad who hired captain in junior teams and within that if you if you think of half of your squad is made up of lads who have already captained mm. at different time age groups and suddenly we're forced in a first team squad together um, I suppose I was the likely candidate as well some of our senior players at the time um, didn't. Well, they didn't have any egos. They didn't have any baggage with them. They just wanted to win trophies, and I think that certainly helped as well. Because you know, if you're in the environment where someone's made captain and you've got some senior players who have a lot of experience and they believe they should have the job, they can make it really, really difficult for a younger captain. We have to say the guys here at the time just rallied round, got behind me, and were fantastic. They were, they were absolutely brilliant and uh, you know to get it at 22 is, is tough um, and um, trying to in many ways lead and have an influence over guys who are in their early 30s who have umpteen caps for Great Britain and England and Australia if you like um, it can be quite daunting but because of the support I got, they made it very, very easy. Yeah, for sure. Now, Kev, the following year, you actually make your England debut. There's got a, a World Cup squad, and then obviously not long after that, you have to play against Australia. What was it like after you know only playing against English players for so long? What was it like playing against the best and the best from the NRL? 
It was, it was great. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I think, you know, you're here and you've watched the likes of Andrew Johns and Brad Fittler and Trent Barrett and Darren Lockyer and Gordon Tallis and Dan Pierce. <laughs> Keep going. The list, what a, the list, what a list. On, it? Um, wow, yeah. To suddenly to suddenly be in a dressing room knowing that you're going to be facing those guys was, was unreal. Um, a real challenge. It was a pleasure to sort of be on the field with those guys and play against them. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was great, great to look around our dressing room as well. If I'm honest, Tristan. You know, you mentioned Paul Schoolthorpe before. Well, Paul Schoolthorpe, Andy Farrell, Sean Long, Kieran Cunningham, yep. Gary Connolly. I still uh, remember kids. that Ash game that Scully just absolutely tore Australia apart. Yeah, and and it was just like we had some fantastic players, and it was just. It was just an honour. When I look back now, you know, you probably don't realise it at the time, but it was just a real honour. And the crowds and really got behind the team. Um, the support was outstanding, and um, yeah, it was, it was great. I, you know, I only beat Australia once, and it was for, it was in my debut against Australia, so <laughs> um, probably a little bit spoiled with the first one. You know, um, you thought it was going to happen all the time. Well, I was hoping so, yeah, but it didn't seem to go that way, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kev, did you ever have any, uh, much interest from the NRL? Um, it was probably two occasions. Um, I think our CEO here, Gary, had done a really good job with our junior players and had been captain here for um, a number of years. Um, and it was almost a, an unwritten commitment from the players that, you know, we will stick together and and we'll keep trying to improve and win trophies together and yep. we're a great environment. But I think that the first real opportunity um, came at the end of 2002. Um, you know, I was good set to be out of contract the following year. Um, you know, I met a, an agent in a hotel uh, over in Leeds and he talked to me about possibly joining Manly. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I hadn't won anything over in England. Um, if anything, I'd not really established myself either. I was I was a regular in the side, but not really got to where I needed to get to or where I wanted to get to. And I just felt timing was wrong. And um, do you know, within a few weeks of of sort of making the decision to stay, um, I made captain. There you go. Timing again, Kev. And timing, yeah. And, we, and then we set off on sort of an unbelievable period of of years where. We're there or thereabouts most years winning trophies and we have an unbelievable team. We have a set of teammates who are like brothers and um, who just I just enjoy being with every day. My family settled. We you know, not long after that my wife falls pregnant and we have our first child and sort of everything's settled. Um, when I look back on it now, um, there's no regret at all. I'd love to have played in the NRL at some stage, but there's no regret. I think if if it had been now, given the gap in, in the caps, in the salary mm. caps, I possibly would have thought about it a little bit more. But at the time, the caps were very similar. Yep. The competition over here was very, very strong and there were some great players over here. And um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I got another chance a bit later on. Uh, it was about 2010, 2011. Okay, who was That wasn't necessarily with uh, a particular club again I was approached by an agent who told me okay. there was a lot over in Australia um, would I consider going uh, the answer was yes at the time you know we'd won we'd won a lot of trophies 
Um, and it was certainly something I'd, again, I had a couple of years left on my contract. It was something at that stage where you start reflecting and assessing how you'd like your career to, to pan out. Um, but at that stage, um, you know, Leeds wanted a pretty hefty transfer fee for me and it was it was dead in the water before it ever really started. So, yeah, well, you're the, um, you're the again, dipest again, player, isn't no, it? No so. I, never, I never got to the stage where I was out of contract, Tristan. I never got out of the stage apart from sort of back to 2002. I, I always had more than two two years left on a, on a playing contract. Yep. So it, it would never have been easy to, to get out if I, if I would have wanted to get out. But I have to say I was really happy here. The club is fantastic. The support I had within Leeds um, was absolutely immense. Even through some of the, the difficult days and some of those weeks where you're struggling to get in a win and performances aren't great. Um, they truly supported myself and the team. and I think that goes a long way. It's it's not all about money. There's a lot of money in the game now, certainly in the, in the NRL, but yeah. it's, I, I think I've got to be happy. You know, sometimes, I, yeah, I'd, like I said, I'm regrets. No regrets at all. I, I, um, I do believe in, in time, I do believe in things happen for a reason and, um, it was it was meant to be that I stayed here, and and if I hadn't have done, I'm not quite sure I'd have been able to close that book at the end of 2015 the way I did. The, yeah. the week did have that satisfaction where you go, okay, it's, I'm content with with my career. There's things I'd love to change. There's things you know you you would change, but it it's you become a different bloke then. Absolutely, but Kev, like two years after you actually take over, because obviously you, you're going to be a lot better be able to answer this than me. Because when you guys beat Bradford in 2004, you guys haven't won a title in years, right? Was it over 30 years? Yeah, it was 32 years. Yeah. Wow. What was it like for the town of Leeds? Because I know before we started, I told you obviously I was a Shark supporter, and it took us 50 years to win a premiership. So when we won, like the town of Cronulla went absolutely nuts for absolutely months. What was it like in Leeds when when you guys finally brought something back? Yeah, very similar. Very similar. The, the place went crazy. And um, when I mentioned before about being a sleeping giant, the crowds were unbelievable. The support in the city was immense. I can remember the following day after, after winning the grand final, being at Leeds Town Hall and there being absolutely thousands of people stood outside singing and chanting and all in the blue and amber colours and just so so humbling and um, yeah the city went mad the city were crazy it's a big sporting city anyway with yeah. you know the team we've got here with Yorkshire Cricket with Leeds United with our rugby union team Yorkshire there's just so much going on in the city but um, yeah they went rugby mad and, and they'd been starved of success I mean we'd, we'd won the Challenge Cup in um, 1999 which I mentioned previously and but besides that, not won a league title for 32 years. So you can imagine the weight. You can imagine the the amount of fans in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and that then young generation who who was just desperate to either mm. see Leeds win the first trophy or for Leeds to finally win another trophy. And um, young and old went crazy, and it was it was really special. Yeah, did the kind of getting that monkey off your back. Was that something that you could kind of sense with the boys once it all was over? Um, no, I did. I, I, see, because we had a young side and because um, 
a number of those players had come through our system. A number of those players knew the history of the club, mm. um, but hadn't been tarnished with some of those. I don't want to say failings because there were some great clubs out there, but some of those missed opportunities we weren't a part of. Uh, we were part of a few of them, but not 30 years worth. Um, we'd come through a pretty successful youth system, that an academy team, that our academy team had won 13 championships on the bounce or something like that. So the club were producing players, they were producing winners. The difficulty was trying to translate that to first team level and... Um, so there was almost a freshness about the squad. That's why when I when when I talked about the captaincy before, there's almost no burden on you. You're not carrying yeah. any bag because you're free from it. You're completely fresh and you're immune to some of the history that is that has hurt so many players before you. Um, what it did do, it gives a taste of something that um, we will go on craving for the rest of our playing careers, all of us, because that feeling it at the end when the hooker goes and that moment when you end up in the huddle and the lads are all together and the moments in the dressing room that nobody sees at uh, the bus trip back um, they're the truly special moments that yeah. you harness and, and, you rem- and you remember Absolutely Kev you know the the three titles that you win back to back to back to back against St Helens What's yeah. as captain? What's is, how hard is it to you know after you win the first two? Obviously, you go after that third one, and how hard is it to get the boys up like consistently year after year? Uh, well, there were a fair bit going on over here at the time. There was there was a really strong rivalry with St Helens, a healthy rivalry. Um, there's a real respect between the two clubs mm. and uh, and the players, but there was uh, I suppose. You know, at the World Cup in 2008, um, Leeds and St. Ellis players should have mixed better, and they didn't, for whatever reason. Um, the players got on, but they just didn't mix like you would normally in a, in a rep team. Okay. And uh, I think some of that was down to what had happened in 07 and 08. They'd been the best team in the comp for both those years. We snuck up at the end in the playoffs and, and end up snatching a grand final from them after they'd won the league leaders. and. And top, and top the competition. So um, then in 2009, on the back of, I suppose, that World Cup and a feeling from the Leeds players that St. Ellen's truly believed they were a better side than us. Okay. And, and, I, and I think actually at the time that was probably fair because they topped the league twice. Uh, but probably unbeknown to them, what that did really fired our guys up. And I can remember at the start of the 09 season, I went into pre-season that year. Brian McLennan was our coach and had a really, really big plan about try Pete and um, really going for three in a row. But within the playing group, there was a there was determination to top the league and win the grand final to almost just send a message out that we're a good side as well and we yeah. don't just come alive in the last few weeks of the season to come and win a grand final. Um, so all nine took care of itself. Seven and eight, like I said, we probably we we weren't the best team in the comp. Saints had some great players, and there was that respect there. Um, all things being equal, you know, they'd have won the grand final in both those years. But we we seem to have a way of timing our run. Uh, but Mate, it was great. <laughs> those Saints fans must years. absolutely hate you guys. <laughs> um, look, at the start of the two thousands, they did a fair bit of dance to us. 
uh, in a lot of semi-finals. You know, I can remember playing in a number of them over at the J. What was the JJB back then? Yeah. It's now the DW Stadium in, in Wigan, and we got some absolute hidings. And we got some hidings even throughout those years of St. Helens. They're a very, very, very good side. Uh, but yeah, I, I have no doubt that um, we ruined um, some St. Helens fans' days at Old Trafford during the <laughs> final. But uh, I think that's, that's the beauty of sport, isn't it? It's, do you know, I, I lost my fair share, and, and if you look at my Challenge Cup final history, um, I get dropped. We've won till, yeah, till yeah, 2014. And, and then lose five in, on the bounce as captain. So um, I went through my own heartache and pain. So I know what those Saints fans are feeling. If not worse, I, I would add. Um, <laughs> it took a long time for us to taste what it meant to win in the Challenge Cup final. And yeah. That's all, isn't it? Yeah, Kev, that was actually going to be my next segue because, you know, <laughs> when you didn't, you didn't play in 99, so they won. But then you go through all those years of losing, especially as captain. You must think going into back end of your career, you're never going to win a Challenge Cup. Yeah, yeah. It got to that stage, and, and you used the phrase before about monkey being on your back. Um, that was sort of the case with the Challenge Cup, and the amount of times I lied to the media and to the press guys who, who asked me whether I'd be satisfied finishing, finishing my career without a winner's medal. <laughs> um, and said, yeah, absolutely, you know, and you give the... The standard answer, but it was it was eating away at me. It was eating away at a number of our players, and it's only five. Like it's, um, it, it was really tough, and I, and I can remember after the fifth one, um, I didn't want to see the Challenge Cup ever again. I didn't want to go near it. I didn't <laughs> want anything to do with it. I was sick to death of driving down that M1 and coming back empty-handed. Was, yeah. There was a weight of disappointment and embarrassment, and as captain, felt responsible for a lot of people who who spent a lot of money just for a weekend in London for the tickets for the travel for the kids for the merchandise then to drive back up empty handed um, you do you feel responsible for it and um, it was it, that's some of the adversity I referred to earlier you go through that and you like to think that um, you know I do have a saying to myself that um, through adversity comes blessings and in effect, you have to go through some tough times to really experience the good and, and be able to get satisfaction from them. Thankfully, in 2014, we managed to taste what it was like to win one. <laughs> Mate, what, but, it, what is it like to taste to, one, being up on the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, have, I have to tell you, 2014 wasn't great, if I'm honest. Um, it was a complete relief. It wasn't about the joy of winning. It was just complete relief and, and knowing that that monkey was finally off and, and gone. And the shackles were off, the chains had gone. We, could, we were now free to just enjoy the rest of our careers, all of us. And hopefully that meant we'd, we'd get another chance to win another. Do you know, like, that was a huge contributor for 2015, getting that... Yeah, that. I do, yeah. I do. I, yeah. do. I think it was a huge contr- contributor. I think you know there was, there was no pressure. Monkey was off our back. You turn up at Wembley... Free, free being able to go out and play and express yourselves without any worry or anxiety or doubt or any concern. Um, you can go and enjoy the day and you know, 50 0. To be part of any final, be 20 minutes in and know that the game's won, it's pretty, pretty special for the team in front. Um, and to be able to enjoy Wembley, given that I had some experiences there that were negative and difficult and were tough. Um, 
that that was um, a pleasurable final, not because of, of winning fifty nil, just because we were twenty minutes in and you knew that we were never going to lose that day. Mm. And you could almost take in some of a bit more of the atmosphere, atmosphere than you normally would. You could take in a bit more of the support from the crowd because there's a few more stoppages in the game because you're scoring tries. Um, you know, it was, it was it certainly it wouldn't be in the top ten games, but it, it was a nice position to be in given our history with that competition. Did you do much visualization before a game? Um, not really. I, I think I started to do as I got a little bit older and a little bit older and a bit more experienced, especially before big games. So when you do uh, the walk around or the captain's run the day before big games, yeah. I would I would take my phone and um, just take a couple of photographs from the touch lines at the post, so that I knew what I was going to be looking at the following day. Um, and I'd flick over them on a night, the night before the game, and just. Think about the kicks from those areas. So um, I started to use it a little bit. Um, I, I was a fan of it because, especially the day before games and uh, in captains' run, there's often a time limit and how much you can spend on the field. So rather than um, overrun on that time and the club get a fine or keep everybody waiting if there's a bus, I'd certainly do my kicking. And yep. I, but I, I wouldn't do it to the extent as I would if I was on my, sort of my home ground or there weren't a time limit so them photographs a little bit just to zone me in if you liked yeah fair call now Kev you, you know you thrived obviously in the middle at 13 but you also did very well at 6, 7 and then occasionally you even filled in at number 9 when you had to but did you was 13 your preferred position like did you care where you played at all um, well I think if you look at how the game changed over here Sort of 80s and 90s, uh, and Ellery Hanley was the standout 13, and and played over here. They always had a 13. He was a, he was a ball player. Mm. He, he was he was certainly somebody who could carry the ball, but he was he he touched the ball a lot. He was involved a lot in the play. He had quite a lot of football in him. Um, so if we, if we use some examples from a little bit later on, an Andy Farrell type, a Paul Scholes yep. type. Mm-hmm. Uh, a look over in Australia, Scott Hill yep. provided that run. So did, uh, Even Troy Nickel too. So, yeah, Troy Nickel, so did uh, uh, Brad Fittler at times. So um, there was a different style back then, and, and that was probably my style. Um, when the influence came from Australia, that, that 13 role was more of a, a middle. Um, I, I wasn't big enough. Yeah. And it was truly my game just to keep barging at the door, trying to add that physicality because. I didn't have it. I was, like I said, I was 96, 90 key, 96, 97 kilos. But because the game had started to speed up over here at that stage as well, um, I couldn't carry it, and I couldn't. I didn't feel like I could get the most out of my own performances by being that heavy. So I started to drop, and I played the vast majority of my career at 93, 94 okay. as a third. And and then when you start coming up against sides, you have a, a third, a thirteen who's a middle. Um, you probably need to go down that route as well and try and find somebody who's a bigger type man who's got a bit more football in him as opposed to a footballer who's a little bit smaller, if you understand. Yeah, what I'm yeah. At. And at that, at that point, the game was speeding up. Um, I played a lot of six in my junior football, played a lot of six in our under-19s comp up here um, as I was transitioning into the first team. 
Um, I really enjoyed playing six. We had two fantastic halfbacks here at the time, and, and Rob Burrow and Danny McGuire, Danny McGuire as well. So um, trying to get the right balance between the style of play we had and whether that was me as a 13 ball playing or me a half um, in in a slightly different role again was um, was always a conundrum for whoever was head coach at the time. And um, preference was six or seven, certainly towards the back end. Um, I ended up. You mentioned ninety one kilos. I ended up probably playing the last year at about eighty nine. Okay. Uh, just because I, I wanted to be super fit, there were things that I couldn't do that a Robber or a Danny Maguire could do, or a lot of halves in our game over here could do things that I couldn't do. I didn't have any explosive speed. Um, but my game was built on touching the ball a lot, yeah, and sport play, and just trying to organise and make sure that actually the ball goes to the right people at the right times, um, and then trying to get the best out of people in around me. Yeah, cool. Now, Kevin, going to wrap things up with a couple of rapid fire ones. The first one, you, know, okay. you, you scored a lot, as mate, but there must be one memorable one. What, what do you what do you reckon is your favourite try? Ooh. That's, that's a toughie. Um, do you know what? Only because it's the first one that I've, I've thought of. I scored a try for Great Britain against Australia 2002. It was a mid season game. And um, we got absolutely pumped. Was that in England? Traveled it was up. like 50 nil or something? 50 yeah, to 4? Yeah. Yep. yeah. It was something like that, but it was me who scored. So. <laughs> Yeah, I came on and it was about we were about 35 minutes gone and we, I think we were staring down the barrel it was about 32-0 at the time um, and we'd, like I said we'd been in Australia about four days the preparation nothing like what you'd get these days um, and Australia were far too good for us and um, yeah I managed to score um, and as I'm scoring Lottie Takiri's tackling me so um, that would probably be the one it weren't an outstanding try or anything it was just <laughs> One God for Kev saving the day. Yeah, it's one that's for your country and one that was over in Australia. And, um, yeah. Good build Special up into one. the next World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I reckon you might have already said him, but who's who's your funniest teammate? Uh, probably be Rob Burrow. Okay. Um, real was, character. T- yeah. Typical art back. Um, Joker. Always playing tricks on people. Great fun, uh, a real personality as well. How much trouble did he get on the field? Is he always hiding behind the big boys? No, he he was very quiet on the field. Actually. Really? No, yeah, not not that type of scrum half at all. Didn't get under anybody's skin on the field. Went about his business. He was just an assassin. I think those big boys ran at him and he got underneath them and picked them up. But then he terrorised them when he had the ball because he was that quick. <laughs> uh, but we had some really really good characters in in the side. That that's. And we listen to a lot of ex-players speak. What they missed the most, it'd be that banter in the dressing room. Yeah. So many different characters who who had so many different slants on things. And there's that honesty. There's that brutal honesty. Sometimes it's probably a bit too honest, but um, it's good fun. Yeah, they're your mates. But all right, Kev. Yeah. Next one. Up Headingly. What was your favourite ground? And in Australia, we call it a bogey ground. If you can't win somewhere, I'm not sure if you call that in England as well. But was there a favourite ground and a bogey ground? Right, favourite ground would be Old Trafford. Um, and that's because I just had some fantastic memories there. Um, play 
their eight times, lost once. Wow. And that was what the 05 record. grand final, the rest of the times. We won seven grand finals there, so, or I did. Um, loved playing there, um, just, yeah, just from the memories. Um, playing in the sort of in the autumn over here when it's October, it's not it's dark early, often a little bit bit rainy. Um, just a great feel for the place when it's lit up and um, just uh, a great atmosphere. Bogey ground. Ooh, um, I don't recall there being one that I didn't like playing at. You guys were too successful. You're always winning here. No, no, I don't recall there being one where I ever thought, oh, I don't want to play here. Um, but there was one ground where I had an absolute shocker one day, and it was Halifax. Um, and I I didn't get to play there a lot, because um, unfortunately they, they came out of Super League. Um, but the one game when we got beat quite heavily, and I, and I was poor, and Unfortunately, I never got a chance to go back and write, write that wrong. <laughs> but Henry Paul was actually telling you about a few just taunts from the, after he broke the world for the most consecutive kicks. Like, you know, the crowd started giving it to him, like just absolutely trying to put him off goal kicks. Was there ever a ground where, I don't know, they, they might have been down by 50 and it might have been silent, but you know what it's like when it's silent. You can hear everyone. Like, was there ever a ground where you just maybe a special taunt from someone that you still remember to this day? Yeah, uh, uh, there's some really, really, I've got some really, really good stories on taking kicks at goal and especially on far touch lines and opposing fans giving it to you. And it's it's often the ones that if, if you're playing a, a ground where there's not many people there and you can hear one voice stand out, but, but there's two that stick out. Um, for different reasons, but I can remember playing at Hull KR once. Um, I was on the far touchline right in front of their main stand, and it's where all the noise comes out of it at Hull KR. And uh, yeah, they threw mints and all sorts at you, and I can remember being <laughs> thrown and, and I was getting absolutely abused. All sorts were coming out of there, and far touchline uh, nailed the kick and then pick one of the mints up and put it in my mouth and give them away over. I remember that. <laughs> uh, that was pretty special. Um, but I, uh, the other one would be, we're playing at Catalan. So we're playing in Perpignan, and um, the guy who brought our kicking tee on was our masseur. Okay. And he stood just at the side of me as I've lined it up, take your steps back, getting ready to, to kick the goal, and I hear an almighty slap at the side of me and one of the French fr- fans has thrown his sandal at me <laughs> but it made it at my sir square in the face so yeah the uh, the French don't mind throwing a the sandal a <laughs> sweaty leather sandal never heard that one in Australia that is uh, very unique there Kev yeah. <laughs> alright Kev I'm going to hit you with the final question now it's the only time I'm going to put you on the spot now, it's just my dinner party question. So you've got five invites to a private dinner party. Now, only rules. No family or friends, but you can invite anyone you like, dead or alive. Who would you like to invite to dinner? Oof. Well, that's, that's tough. Um, can I have some rugby players in there? Yeah, absolutely. Is that allowed? Right. Well, I, I, first of all, um, he's my best mate in the game. Um, we grew up together and played a lot a lot together. So it'd be uh, Jimmy Jones Buchanan. There you go. Remarkably, just from twenty years a player. Um, Did he retire? Absolutely, be there. He just retired. Yeah, okay. uh, 
had, had a brilliant career. Um, so Jamie, um, another guard pick who was my hero growing up, uh, Ellery Hanley. Nice. Um, so there's two. Do you know what? I'd be struggling with the other three um, because I wouldn't want to miss anybody out. But um, What's happened to Ellery? Is he still connected to the game at all? Yeah, he is, yeah. Do you know what? He's 58 and he's like Benjamin Button. Oh, is he what? He, yeah, he could still play. He's, he's super fit. He's an absolute gentleman. He's a man. And he's still around the game. And, and it's great to see he's getting more and more involved. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you should a Legends which, team which, going on maybe at a half-time. Let's just absolutely carve up, you two. And, uh, <laughs> he's 58. He'd, he'd do a better job than I would. <laughs> he's an absolute legend over here. Um, I'd probably pick... Probably pick a comedian um, because he was entertained. So a guy called Peter Kay. Okay, I don't cool. know if you've heard of him. No, I haven't uh, heard of him. Everyone keeps saying, what's the guy's no, name? He's, he's from Manchester. I can't remember his name now. It's, uh, what's his name? Not Steve something. What did Scully tell me? Uh, what was the guy's name? Right. Who's the famous comedian from Manchester? Well, he is, he's from Bolton. Oh, he's from Bolton. So it's not really. You could class that as Manchester, but I'm I'm don't I'm not really sure um, who he's referring to. But he'd, he'd be one of them anyway. He's he's a, a real sort of northern Manchester humour. Okay. Um, a bit dry, but um, yeah, he'd certainly be there for entertainment. I'd then get somebody. You'll laugh at this. I absolutely love the saxophone. Do you? So. Yeah, I can't play it. I never tried playing it. But it'd be somebody who was um, the best in the world at playing the saxophone. So for so a game, would, would you have your Walkman on with the with the saxophone? Well, like, well, would... No, 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 no. It's um, it's only the last couple of years. Of, we had a, a pre-season tour um, and played uh, South Jacksonville. Okay, yeah, yeah. I remember. I can't remember what year it'd have been. 2008 maybe um, and we went a number of uh, over a number of years and we ended up there about four years and there was one particular um, I, I think it was in around the South game but it could have been a different year we went on a night out as a team and there was nobody else in this place and it was right on the beach and they had on that night and it was one guy playing the saxophone and a singer and um, they did all modern songs and they were absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best nights I've had as part of a rugby team. And ever since then, I've, you know, when I hear the saxophone, it takes me right back to that moment. So, yeah, it's, there's something about live music in America, isn't it? When you go to like a, a little bar, it's something else. Like, like even traveling around Europe, traveling around Australia, there's nothing like, I don't know what it is, maybe because they're playing tips or whatever it is, but they just have so much heart and soul. I'm not sure if you've noticed the same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's um, they were great times as well because you you tour and you're in America and the people are fantastic and they can't believe that our sport is very similar to American football, but nobody's yeah. helmets on. <laughs> and, yeah, it, so, brilliant. Um, oof, my last pick. Um, do you know what? I'm going to throw in uh, Che Guevara. Okay, cool. Um, I think he'd really mix it up there. So um, we'd have a comedian, the best saxophone player in the world, Che Guevara, Ellery Hanley, uh, and Jamie Jones Buchanan. There you go. It's a great party, mate. Well, Kev, I really appreciate you joining me on the show, mate. All the best for Estella 2020. I think you guys have signed some good players. I think you guys will definitely be threatening the, the premiership 
fingers crossed again. But, uh, mate, happy New Year as well, and uh, Merry Thank Christmas you. to you and your family, buddy. Thank you, Sam, too. It's been a pleasure. And that, guys, was Kevin Sinfield. If you are a fan, obviously, of the Leeds Rhinos, English Super League, or just Rugby League in general, we've got another great legend next week in Jamie Peacock. So two of the great players from the Leeds Rhinos. If you like today's episode, continue to spread the word with your family and friends. Definitely tag me on any posts on social media. I'm at, I'm at Talking with TK, and that's across my Facebook or Twitter, Tristan Nell on my Instagram. Definitely get in touch if you've got any guest requests or suggestions for the show. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or send me a direct message on any of the social medias. Uh, Talking With Champions, just a reminder, that is out now. So that's my book. 75 of my favorite interviews really broken down into the the best bits. So if you're looking for a present for your dad, your dad, your husband, your boyfriend, pretty much anyone. So definitely it's a great read. It's in online, Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, and also Dimmix. You can also go in store and get it in the in the bookshop as well. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Just a reminder, Jamie Peacock next week, so stay tuned for that one. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.